I'm Rebecca Rothstein, and along with my co-host, Leanne Daly, we'd like to welcome you to Say It Forward. Each week, we'll be doing one of my favorite things to do, and that's interviewing interesting people with out-of-the-ordinary life stories. They're all people who took a different path in life. Some never imagined the heights they would achieve, and others, well, they turned their childhood dreams into reality. Sitting in with Leanne and I today is one of our executive producers, Kim Garner. So let's begin. Today we are pleased to welcome Gavin McNeil, also known as Mizzle, on our show. Gavin is a self-taught graphic designer and creative director with a passion for impacting culture and thought-provoking art through products and experiences. He started his creative career using his talents to promote youth culture in Los Angeles under the moniker Just Be Cool. For sure, his story is one for the books. As a high schooler, he was presented with the opportunity to come out of South Central Los Angeles and attend Beverly Hills High School. During that time, he pursued creative projects during and after school. His hard work has led him to an exciting career that encompasses music, fashion, and design. We're so happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us today. Mizzle, let's get started. Hello, hello. Let's start at the beginning. I'd like to know where you were born. So born and uh, semi-raised in Minneapolis, child of two amazing parents. And I'll I'll tell you why I'm going to highlight that now. But grew up middle class family in Minnesota and moved to Los Angeles in the fifth grade. Family went through a lot of like financial things. So we we moved to South Central Los Angeles. So that in itself, going from middle class Minnetonka, Minnesota to South Central, that transition itself was a very molding and defining like moment for me or just an experience that I'm proud to say I have that under my belt. How Uh, old were you? Probably 10 or 11. Right. Yeah. Right. And so anytime I meet somebody from Los Angeles or anytime I meet someone, they're like, are you you from here? You're not from here. You know, and I think it's not because I don't, you know, dress like a a guy from L.A., but I think it's just because there's something about having lived in, in the Midwest, you know, born in the Midwest and then moving to a magical city like Los Angeles. So that was the foundation for me. Again, great parents. My mom and my dad both were very well connected people just off of being great people themselves. And so, you know, yes, I grew up in South Central, but I went to school in Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills High School, by the grace of of an amazing man named Bob or or Robert Evans, who allowed me to use his address to go to school at Beverly Hills High School. Had I not, I would have went to Dorsey High School with friends of mine who I know went a completely different path in life. That's like a magical kind of connection. Absolutely. It Was that connection because of one of your parents or? Yes. Yeah, so a woman who had worked for him for years is my mom's best friend, Michael Benz. And she was, uh, I mean, just an amazing woman herself, but she became like a daughter to Uncle Bob, who I call him. And so she plugged me and mm-hmm. was like, yo, yeah. they need some help. Yeah. And going from Minneapolis to Beverly Hills, Beverly High, Hills High, Yeah, it's like you're whipsawing around mm-hmm. culturally from mm-hmm. the Midwest to South Central to that. Right. What was that like? That was, um, if you can imagine, I don't know if you've ever tried these new like VR things that they're <laughs> working on, but you talk about perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And, and just kind of fulfilling the picture and just seeing something and a life, right? Being a journey from multiple angles, right? you know, because it almost felt like I wasn't 
at the time, I didn't understand like the present. So it felt like I wasn't supposed to be there. And so to watch myself or see myself go a different way and then see my friends who kind of their lives trailed where I was supposed to go. Mm. And then mine went this way. How did that affect the relationship with them? Or could you have a foot in each world, so to speak, and manage that? Yeah. It wasn't until my later years that I understood that that was a blessing, you know, and that that was has made me such a well-rounded person. I'm able to go anywhere in Los Angeles and be cool, you know. And a friend of mine told me it's this thing called superposition, right, to be genuinely multiple people to multiple different people, right? Mm -hmm. So to to genuinely be a kid from South Central, you know, to genuinely be an honorable man that went to Beverly Hills High School, as Rebecca would always call me, you know, um, to to genuinely be an artist, you know, to genuinely be an entrepreneur and not contradict yourself in any space. You have looked out for so many people. You bring people under your wing. You, Mm -hmm. You mentor them. You help them in every way that you can. You know, it was actually you, Rebecca, who helped me to actually put a title on my impact on my friends that as also a mentor to them, being a person that doesn't see age, you know, being a person that doesn't see anything outside of being kind, you know, and and helping people like to hear there's a title for this as like a mentor was kind of like a aha moment. Like, oh, yeah, I guess I am. When you decide to really go all in with somebody, what what are the factors that lead into that? One, I had to feel it personally. Most relationships that if I move forward with on a business level, I have clear intentions for what I want to get out of it. Definitely on a a monetary, like financial side, but more on a like, I want this group of people to hear this message from you specifically. YG, another artist that I work Mm -hmm. with. I want his market and and his demographic to hear about what it is to just be a stand-up gentleman, what it is to, you know, eat healthy, you know, what it is to be a father. I want them to know that. And so I have intentions in what I'm doing. And for me, that's kind of my art, you know, Mm -hmm. that's my curation of, and that's my supervision and creative direction over the culture and the world. Mm-hmm. So you went to school and you're a designer yourself. So why don't you talk a little bit about where you went to school and then where and where your creativity comes from? Right. So I went to I went to school at Beverly Hills High School. Then I left there and I went to the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising for a short while. Amazing school, as you know. And then I also went to Pasadena City College. I jumped around to different schools. And so my dad, I remember, was and this is just recently reflecting on some of the early art that he had in the house. I was fiending for this piece and trying to think about this piece that he had when I was a child. And it just popped up in this movie. And I just re- found out the artist's name and I found it. I said, Mom, like, we had this piece. And she's like, yeah, it's somewhere sitting in the garage. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, where? I'm about to get it now, you know? And so my dad was, he was an attorney. But on all of his huge legal pads, he would teach me how to sketch. You know, he would sketch face shapes and body shapes. And he was actually an amazing artist amongst many other things. And so I'm reflecting on where I got this. Like, my mom's creative too, but she's more business. She just won't draw things. She's not a maker, but she understands <laughs> yeah, how to put things together. She's creative in different ways, mm-hmm. right, with project management. But my dad is like the like hands-on artist guy. And so he was the one who got me drawing and sketching early on when I must have been you know, five years old, four years old, as far as I can remember. And then uh, when I got to high school, you know, I realized all my papers ended up with like doodles all around them. And I was like, oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> like, I'm an artist, you know. <laughs> uh, but I, I also looked up to, you know, 
the people like Russell Simmons and Jay-Z, like the multidimensional artists who also were entrepreneurial. And so I studied them and I just fed both of those interests and started my own business. And so I would I was designing my own tees at 15 years old. I built a table in my grandmother's backyard and uh, I was hand screen printing T-shirts and selling them to my friends. I was throwing the parties, you know, I was printing the tees up and bringing them to the party. And that's where I got into working with artists. I had like a following, you know, and people started being like, well, I want to perform. And I was like, all right, we can set it up. We can get you a mic, you know. And now I'm sitting there watching them perform. And I'm like, hey, come here. You need to do this next time. You know, you, need, you, should, you should probably tell them your name first, you know. And so they know like afterwards. And uh, that's when they started to be like, hey, will you manage me or will you do this? And so I started my own uh, brand and social movement called Just Be Cool. Then I opened my retail store. The other time I said I was, I've done designing for and creating for different artists and managing different artists. But now I have my own creative agency and creative studio called Supervision, which, you know, I'm the head creative director there. That's a great name, Supervision. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And so the double meaning of Supervision is to create from a higher space, right? Right. Like real connectivity to something great greater and then also to oversee direct and kind of curate the culture the generation the there's world. an ethos to your <clears throat> business Ackman because I mean I, I know you're very ambitious and mm. all the things you want to do mm. but it really is that that part of the giving back and mm. where did that come from or has that always been a part of you or a spiritual part of you that that's really important yeah I always remember my grandmother telling me the story of going to church one day with you know with all the kids and somebody walking up to her and saying well you look good today Doris and she'd be like well I never look bad you know and and I think (laughs) (laughs) like what do you mean you know and so it was more of an attitude of living in abundance you know and having enough and never not having what you need and so from when you just overflow in that sense like it's just innate to just be like here do you want a bite you know what I mean do you want some of this did it naturally come to you and you just took it in and it started to become how you thought about life I remember waking up one day and walking outside and kind of having that moment in my life where I realized like there's more to this and literally the colors of the world look different like everything looks sharper the colors just were so saturated and strong and just Mm -hmm. and I was just like oh this is what they were talking about sounds like a little bit of a divine intervention yeah you also have an uncanny eye you know you have an eye to recognize talent Mm -hmm. and to take that talent in its raw form and help Mm -hmm. that talent to find direction Mm -hmm. the other artist that you're curating nicholas muhammad another amazing artist And you're ta- you're now you're helping him to build a career, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nicholas worked with an artist named Blue the Great, Flan Jaime Munoz, a couple of artists that throughout their careers, I've just felt like the world needs to know about them, whether it be helping them with their their business or just sharing their artwork. It's just been something that it was more natural at first, honestly, truly. And and like I said, you, Rebecca, helped me to really identify this as like something that I'm you a know, patron. Yeah, <laughs> truth, truthfully. And so, I'm a patron of um, words, ladies. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so my relationship with these people really started off as friends, you know, and, and it just grew to the point where I think it's one of those things where you, if you feed somebody, they're going to come back more, you know, and that goes for everybody in your life. If you can give something to somebody, they'll be back. And the idea is for it to be mutually beneficial. And I think I believe in that. And maybe that's why on a business level, like my business relationships are great, too. It's just I just don't believe in taking and not like giving to anybody. I believe in like every relationship relationship being completely direct and honest like hey i want to receive something from you you know i want to benefit from this relationship it doesn't have to be monetary i just want to benefit from it otherwise you're wasting my time you know and i want you to benefit from knowing me you know what i mean in some way shape or form so as it pertains to these artists i like their work and so i received stimulation from it and i was like look i'm gonna give you something back for that and you've given them a safe place to be mm -hmm. yeah. you know, which is so nice i mean the environment where you keep the studio and mm -hmm. where these people have an opportunity to work mm -hmm. is a lovely place to be. Mm -hmm. So in that's, you know, one of those things where me and Mike, you know, our mm -hmm. story dates back, right? It's like every day around three o'clock, we would land at his house on Burnside. So we had a name for this house. It was called Burnside, right? It was the block that we grew up on. And his mom, a very magical woman, it's funny because my mom, his mom, and Rebecca are three very similar type of people. And you you said earlier on why me and Rebecca connected. There was something about her that I was like, I get it. All I know right. what this yeah, is. Like, <laughs> this, yeah, like this is... Her spirit coming to me in a different form, you know, yeah. and, and the things you know, telling me the truth and the things that I need to hear, you know. And so Agnes, who's Mike's mom, a woman who you know just always cooked and created this safe haven for us to come to every day around three. It kept us out of the streets, out of trouble. A group of young creative people, though, that literally from that house became, my, you know, myself, Mike, an amazing artist, our friend Dom Kennedy, who was, you know, a, an amazing musician who's traveled the world and, and sold thousands of records. Our friend Jason Madison, who's a film director, another film, a friend of ours, Danny Williams, who's another film director, and done some amazing music videos for like huge major artists, like all came out of this house and under the supervision of this woman, you know, and all she did was feed us. Well, we came there and, and hung that's out. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> guys yeah. constantly need right. to be fed as the right. mother of four boys. No, I, I look back and I'm like, how did you cook these amazing dinners every night? But it was her way of luring us in and then kind of molding us and supervising us and directing us in the way that we need to go. You know, that's a big feat because as you know, living South LA and mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of these kids get lured down the wrong path right. and uh, you make it sound easy that she opened her house and fed you mm -hmm. and that got, that kept you guys all on the right track instead mm -hmm. of the wrong one. But mm -hmm. there must have been pressure to be otherwise or was she giving you, as well as food, advice and direction as a strong woman who was going to figuratively put her arms around you guys and make sure that you stayed safe and straight? Yeah, definitely. I mean, she the reason why I don't lie <laughs> you know what I mean like I lied to her one time and she gave me a pass and she was like don't ever do that again and made me feel like the worst person for doing it and I don't lie to this day from what that were her words do you remember her words when she gave you the pass it like was just it was disappointment you know what I mean mm -hmm. it was like disgust and it was kind of a this is your one time with me you know mm -hmm. and I was like yeah like I could ruin all of this breaking the trust, you know? And yes, to answer your question, like she really at the right times did the right things and said the right things that kind of like shifted our perspective.
Was she friends with your mom? Yeah, they are now. They didn't when we were like they just never did when we were growing up. Probably because you know she was doing her thing, and my mom was very busy like working. My mom is like the when I when we were talking great parenting, we're talking great influences on my life. Like she's the strongest woman that I know. So she was off being her. Mm-hmm. What did she do? She said, "I'm so fascinated by her." You've described yeah. her as entrepreneurial, strong. Mm-hmm. What were her pursuits? So my mom. Early on, owned a baby store called Bellini that, oh, yeah. that was in Minnesota. Then she moved to, we all moved to Los Angeles, and she was, my mom's like an, an event producer, so she and a project manager type of person. So worked multiple different jobs, but also always had her event business, throwing weddings and, and parties and graduation events and birthdays and all this stuff. So that's like how she stays creative from that standpoint, but just an amazing mother and a type of person that like, everybody calls when they need something. Are you an only child? No, I have a, I have an older brother. Yeah. Is he close to his parents too? To your parents? Yeah, we are close. Does I'm he live in LA? With, yeah, yeah. What he does, does he do? My brother is, uh, he manages artists as well, but he also promotes events. So, so he's kind of doing what your mom does a little bit. Yeah, exactly. My brother is like a real free-spirited type of guy. You are know? you close? We are. You know, our relationship's been up and down, but we've been through a lot too. So there's some things that we just know when, when you know, shit hits the fan. We got each other's back. If you look at, you know, kids growing up and not having advantages of others and whatever, and as, um, how do you look at these young kids and, like, how could it be different for them? Our greatest natural resource is people. And I don't believe in the statement, I came from some, nothing to something. You know, I just don't believe that there's ever nothing. Um, I think if you're here and you're breathing, that you have something and you have an amazing opportunity and enough energy to do what anybody else has done on their journey. And so I would tell anybody, any kid as now being 29 and able to see clearly, I would tell them to focus on what you do have, you know, and work with the tools that you have and make use of what's right in front of you rather than, you know, trying to complain or numb the idea that you don't have what somebody else has or you don't have enough. Yeah. So if you don't have role models yeah. and you don't have money and you have a lot of influence of bad stuff happening on the streets and a quick way to make money, whether it's drugs or whatever, mm. it still has to, it's just got to be hard to stay focused on wanting to have a better life. I'm so grateful and I have had amazing parents because I, now being a parent, are your parents both alive? No, my mother is alive. My father's not alive. Being a parent now, this beautiful two-year-old daughter, it's like, how can you be, you know, even strong with her, right? Or like strict with her. And the way I look at it, if it's not us, me, myself, it's going to be the law. It's going to be, you know, somebody else who could hurt them. It's going to be something even worse than that. You know, and so that's why I'm as a parent, I think that's our job. You and your lady are as solid as they come and you're raising your child and you're like a wall you yeah. know, together. I want to be seen by this generation as an example for what you can do, you know, and for being a father, for being a, an entrepreneur, for being a creative. So it's definitely like being a role model at the same time. The world is so crazy today. I remember growing up and just sitting in these things that my mom would make me to go to or just when people are lecturing you and you're just like, man, stop telling me this same story. You know, like, stop telling me this same story of drugs, basketball or nothing. You know, it's just like, stop. I'm not going to tell you that story. You've heard it. You know what I mean? So I'm going to tell you the real 
get to it and let's go. You know, like like Rebecca said, just decide and then don't stop. Like remove the failure and quitting out and just go without getting all worked up in here. I'm like, yo, that's really what it is. I know we've talked a bit about this stuff, but your dad. Mm -hmm. So your dad was super creative Mm -hmm. and he was a lawyer, Mm -hmm. but he was also a professional football player. Mm -hmm. And it was an incredibly painful journey that you guys went through. That was probably the hardest, but most defining, like molding. I mean, it was everything, to be honest. Like he was an impact on everything and everybody in the world while he was here for all 62 years, you know? And so he did, you know, everything with enthusiasm. He did everything with love. When I talk about my childhood, I felt him. If I talk to you about art and my creative career, I can only think him. If I talk to you about my upbringing and who I'm most like in my family, it's him. You know, and so when he got sick. What happened with your dad? So my dad played football 12 years in the NFL, first round draft pick, all these great accolades and two Super Bowls, the whole nine. As we all may or may not know, those helmets don't protect you as much as they say. So he, you know, 12 years, then you include college, you include high school. It's a lot of impact on your on your brain. And uh, he played in early on like Super Bowl five. So it's the beginning of discovering that, oh, they don't actually protect you. And so he, at age like 55, had early onset dementia, which then turned into ALS. And he passed from ALS uh, two years ago. And when he got diagnosed, it was just for me, you know, my chance to just return everything that he's ever did for me. And so the conversation came up of like, well, who, you know, who is he going to live with? And when my parents were split up at the time. And so I was like, yo, we'll move in together. Like he can live with me. And so me and him in his later years had spent every day together, had a very close relationship, you know, just watching him go through that process. And Were your mom and dad friends at the end of your dad's yeah, life? Yeah, for sure. Still very close. My mom, again, like still very involved in, in helping him get any support that he got, any, you know, everything. Really, she organized and put it all together for him. Did your dad see your daughter? <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, he did for the first year. Yeah, that was, I mean, that, that trade-off in life, it was like, if you can be at the sweet spot of life, you know what I mean, and just under, and really learn something about what this is about, it's that moment of seeing death lead right into life with two such like amazing people. And so going through that process, seeing him, it was painful, but it was bittersweet because, again, it forced me in my t- mid-20s to like live with my dad again, you know, to spend every day with him, to get closer to a guy who was just my dad, you know, and to realize like, dude, you're magical, you know. I would come home from the office having like a crazy day and he would just walk in the room and look at me and be like, what's up? And I'd be like, nothing. <laughs> and he'd, he'd be like, mm, okay. And he'll say, you know, Gav, the purpose of business is to create mutually beneficial relationships and just make sure that the person and you are getting what you want. Otherwise, it's no point to it, you know, and I, it would be exactly what I was going through that day, you know, and I'll just be like, bro, get out of my room. You're crazy. <laughs> like, you know, you know things, you know. And so, he, he was like he almost was, he was so intuitive about what you were going through. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Like he could just say one thing and know exactly what was going on. He always knew, but he had the same attitude. He never looked at anything as like a loss, you know? And so seeing him go through that taught me a lot because like, here's a man who's one might say is losing everything, even down to your memory and your, you know, your sanity in a sense. But I mean, smile to the end. 
did he know how sick he was at the end? Like That was the beautiful part about it, was that we would go to the doctor, you know, they would remind him, and then 30 minutes later, it was like, so what are we about to eat? You know, and it was just regular. So the dementia didn't allow him to truly understand the ALS piece and why his, mm. his arm was going out and why he, you know, his then it became his throat and all these sort of things. And In a way, he gave back something so beautiful in sort of research and understanding of what this is and right. what playing football can do. My, uh, his name's Fred McNeil. My dad was kind of the poster child for this whole head injury thing. Mm-hmm. Um, early on, my mom was calling people and like, yo, do you know anything about this? Do you know? And nobody wanted to really talk about it. Dr. Malu, who the, the movie with Will Smith was based on, reached out to my mom early on. Like, hey, I heard about you through the grapevine. Like, I think there's something going on, you know? So when it came down to showing up for panel to discuss it, my mom and my dad were there. When it came to flying to here to talk to these doctors, they were there, you know, and they, my dad definitely made sure he was involved as far as he could. And um, and so ALS is what they called it while he was alive, right? But the, ter- the actual illness is CTE. Dr. Malu created a test where you could find it in living people. But Recent it was on, though, right? Yeah, yeah. It, my dad was the first person living to have taken the test and identified to have CT and then to have died and be confirmed. So nobody else had ever been tested alive and dead. Is the intent of the test, if you are able to early diagnose it, that you can be effective in helping to relieve the symptoms of it? Yeah. The earlier that they can find out, they believe that they can either slow it down or to hopefully find a cure for it did you play i did you did i did and i i got a concussion in high school and after that i didn't want to play anymore Mm -hmm. it was scary because i couldn't like remember important things just like in that first 24 hours now what are you going to do so now you're working on your next project can Mm -hmm. you talk about it a little bit yeah so right now i'm growing supervision i am you know, within my company, my I'm developing a brand with one of the artists that I work with, a clothing brand. But as far as supervision is concerned, I want to grow that out to basically align with more artists, develop more brands, and to just establish supervision as a creative brand that kind of provides infrastructure and support for these artists, you know, and partners with these artists to create brands, products, content, experiences, and myself being, you know, a creative person in that, being the designer that works and collaborates with these artists. When I bring people into my office, you know, it's from that space, it's growing that out to be the evolution of that to be a um, incubator for artists and for brands. Possibly to me, the biggest gift you give to the world is that that positivity and mm-hmm. that feeling abundant and that giving back. Mm-hmm. That to me, I think is going to be your biggest gift. However it manifests and all the mm-hmm. things you're doing, the biggest impact on the world that I think you will have mm-hmm. is in that. Well, thank you so much. Thank you really, for it's been me. an absolute pleasure talking to you. Likewise, thank and you. I appreciate you guys in my life. Next on Say It Forward, Barry Goldfarb is a business leader and entrepreneur with very wide-ranging and eclectic interests. From his early days as an All-American college athlete, he instinctively understood the drive and the teamwork required to be a winner. His collection of successful businesses are diverse, from art galleries to banking institutions to his three award-winning wineries in California. This interview is about a guy who broke the mold to become a successful entrepreneur. His passion for wine and the teamwork required to consistently produce world-class wines is positively inspiring, and you don't have to be a wine lover to love this interview. 
So join us when we rewind to the beginning with Barry Goldfarb on the next Say It Forward. Thanks for listening to Say It Forward. Help us grow by subscribing to our podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or at www.sayitforwardpodcast.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on the iTunes store or like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 